Tom, check the bank. Check your bank accounts. Check all your accounts. Oh, okay. Tip, tip, nope. tip, tip, yep. tap, tap, yeah. tap, 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 tap. You got to check the money makers yep. right now I, I, because of cryptocurrency. Do you have, how's your crypto? No. I know. Under, it's been yeah. explained to me 900,000 times. I don't get it, but I do know someone that has one or like $5 in Dogecoin just to go on the ride. Yeah, which I, I think, think is that's funny. amusing too, but only for a little bit. And then I realized, oh, it's also still <laughs> stupid. Uh, and it's bad for the environment. Okay. And also, I bring you this news update right. from Poly Network, and I bring it just as a public service uh, uh, announcement. Don't use don't use crypto. Cause, oh. Come on, like I get it. You feel like a freedom fighter in the economic war zone. You want to have your <laughs> own thing, but it's destroying the environment, and also people steal the hell out of it. And in this case, Poly Network, uh, the uh, hacker that they are now calling Mister White Hat, Mister. White hat stole. Oh, guess how many that's nice. crypto uh, dollars worth of crypto tokens? Go ahead and guess. Put a number to it. White hats are supposed to be the good hackers. You'd think, but this is a real twisty story. So let's start with how it, when he was just Mister Hat, uh, how much would he have stolen? <laughs> I have no idea because I don't like how many coins. No, it'd be the dollar value of what he stole in U.S. dollar <laughs> fiat currency. I would say. Oof, maybe like twelve, thirteen dollars, six hundred million dollars. Whoa, yeah, I whoa! Know. So he many dollars. That? He stole that. He stole that in in crypto, and he took. And it was a it was a vulnerability at Poly Networks that he was able to say, "Hey, <laughs> I can't even say it because he literally he took the money." from yeah. someplace and put it all in his own account with the oh. institution. <laughs> oh. oh, like <laughs> so like he stole from the bank and then put it in a safety deposit box in the same That's bank. That's kind of what happened. That's kind of what happened, but because of the nature of crypto and blockchain and and words and things, in yeah. order to uh in order to access it, there are two passwords needed. There's a public key and a private key and those two things have to match up uh, or okay. or pair together. And so without both of those things, the bank could not actually get the funds back. Well, he became, oh, no. he, he went from Mr. Hat to Mr. White Hat. It turns out he, I, I guess the story goes, it turns out he was able to, he, he wanted to showcase that this vulnerability existed. And that's when they added white to his hat. But this is the oh, part that I one like of those. the best. He returned uh, all of the money with the oh. exception of $200 million. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So he returned so it's 400. A, a finder's fee. Yeah, he returned <laughs> yeah. 400 and he kept Great. 200. But this is how, this is what he said. He said he's going to give over his private key so they could get the money back, the last 200. <laughs> but he was only going to do it. And this is a quote when everyone is ready. For what? <laughs> what does that mean? It's such a weird, weird, weird. flex. I don't, I don't know, know what, what to makes do with that. me more anxious. Like of this story, yeah. <laughs> all of it. He, him. Yeah. No. <laughs> All of it. And and so this is this is so they eventually he he said, I guess everybody was ready eventually. And so they ended up giving him he gave him the two hundred million back and they, they gave <laughs> Bob not only Bob, are you good? You're ready. Okay. <laughs> Travis is still in the restroom. Look what he got okay. out of it. He got five hundred grand as a bounty that they, oh. they let him keep. And they offered him a job as chief security advisor, Mr. White Hat. 
They offered him a yeah. job. Yeah, it's all so sketchy. Uh, and and so <laughs> I'm just saying, this whole story makes me anxious that there yep. are people who are literally playing with money like it is fake money. Right. Like monopoly money, just throwing it around, taking massive slices of it and putting it away. And it makes me want to put my head under a mattress. <laughs> Along with your money? <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll be there, but mostly it's my head. I don't care for it anymore. I'm ready to wake up. Oh, I keep into your Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out. Reach out to us. Send us a story of your anxieties so we can learn about it and discuss it. Go to whatsthatsmell.net. Again, whatsthatsmell.net. And there's this great big button that I think says donate. And you could be anonymous. <laughs> you can tell us whatever you want. It's going to be great. Friendship, teamwork. Pete? With that, Tommy, you should go first. Pete, this week I have a harrowing tale to share. Would you like to hear it? Oh, I love your spooky stories so much. They're just spooky. Okay. As you know, I recently went on a trip to Minnesota to visit a bunch of friends. Mm -hmm. um, and this was the first time I was flying anywhere since the pandemic started. So already, as you can imagine, my anxiety was pretty high. Flying, I mean, I'm past my fear of... What are the oh tail strikes <laughs> that we <laughs> that talked about in the one. very episode one of yeah. this entire uh dumb podcast? Past my fear of tail strikes, uh, I am not a nervous flyer, but I was nervous this time because it'd be the most people I've been around in enclosed spaces since March of last year. Well, it went great, and by great I mean it was a disaster. <laughs> the trip was amazing, but the trip there to Minnesota was terrible. Can I run it down for you God, real quick? Please, I thought it was a great trip. I feel like you've been withholding. Oh, oh the trip was outstanding, but yeah. the travel, Pete, yeah, the travel. the travel. So I was on um, Southwest Airlines, as is my want. Mm -hmm. Were you in row 13? I was not in row 13. No, they. I had them remove it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a layover in Austin, because that's how Southwest wanted yeah. to do it. Yeah. And during my layover in Austin, I was having a little sandwich, and then I got a text that my next flight to Minnesota was canceled. And they rebooked me on a flight the next day at 5.30 a.m. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Quite a move, Southwest. So I'm like, no. And I go up to talk to customer service, and the entire plane is there before me. Of course, because sure. I was finishing my little sandwich. And so there's like 50, 60 people all in a row waiting. And there's one person at the desk. So I said, not today, Southwest. And I sat down and I got out my laptop and I checked around and I found out that there was a flight leaving from Delta, from the same airport, from Delta in about an hour. You're going to change an airplanes, and airlines now? Yeah. Now yeah. is when this you decide my, to change airlines. This was my plan. Oh, no, it was like two hours away. Anyway, so now I was going to change it because Southwest had nothing. I am nothing rocked beat. with anxiety right now. <laughs> I Just imagine my temperature, not my anxiety temperature during the story. Yeah. Okay, so I'm like, great. So I'm not going, I'm not getting a hotel or anything. I'm doing fine. Ooh, what's the one thing I forgot? Southwest has my bag. 
because I oh, checked the bag. For crying it was out a, loud. A week, it was over a week trip. And so I was like, hey, Southwest, I need my bag because I Delta Delta. And they said, that's no problem. We're going to bring everyone's bags off. And then I watched as they brought every single other person's bag and then an entire other plane of bags. I'm down in baggage control. Baggage control? Baggage mm. control. Baggage claim. And they can't find my bag. They don't know. They don't know. It's D- enormous. It's purple. It's ridiculous. And they're like, look, we're just because they're just like dripping and drabbing. And so I'm waiting. And I'm being very nice to everybody. But I do say to the lady, I say, none of this is your fault, I realize. But Southwest is about to make me miss my second flight in a row. <laughs> they finally, she pulls, pulls uh, presses on the gas. They find my bag. Uh-huh. But I'm way out of time now. I leave. I come back. Into now, Delta. now you're a Delta customer, magically. Now I'm a Delta customer, exactly. I have my new, I switch t-shirts. Uh-huh. And I wait in the baggage drop line which is enormously long. (laughs) And it's everyone's first day because there's three people (laughs) behind the counter of uh, Delta. And I, at one point, watch them. Oh, every time someone comes up with a bag, it's just a baggage drop. It's supposed to be a pretty quick one. They have to make a phone call. Like they're just, they don't know how to do things. And then at one point, and I timed this for fun, for eight minutes, that one of them found that's one of the passengers that was in line ahead of me, had left their ID. And for eight minutes, they stopped helping anyone, and they all grouped around trying to figure out how to use the overhead microphone system. (laughs) And so people are piling up behind me. It's all a complete disaster. I finally get up to the front, and I say, Hi, ma'am, my plane is leaving in like 40 minutes. Do you think I will make it? And she goes, Your bag will. And I said, Okay, well, (laughs) I don't want to give you my bag if I'm going to be staying here overnight. Right. Because one of the things is I had, why I had to get it off Southwest is the cabin that we were staying in in Minnesota was four hours up in the mountains away from the airport. So there was no, like, just chill or they'll deliver it to me. I needed the bag. And so uh, I asked, you know, do you think I'll make it? She goes, maybe. And I was like, uh, all right. God, helpful. A- At what point did you yeah. put on your captain's hat and just to try to Leo DiCaprio, <laughs> catch me if you can it, uh, into the into the cabin? Hello, I'm Mr. Plane. Um, I don't even use the word pilot. Anyway, she goes, well, let's see. That's the, do you have pre-check? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, there's the pre-check line right there. Um, I have the picture that I took. <laughs> do you want to see the picture? I would love to. This is the pre-check line. <laughs> For those that are not joining us on live stream, there are hundreds of people in line, and that's the pre-check line. So that's when I finally went, okay, you know, uh, this isn't going to work. Um, And I just went outside and started calling hotels to get a hotel for the night. So, yes, I was getting more and more anxious, more and more anxious, more and more anxious. And then it actually, it was kind of wonderful. It got so insane when I was waiting for my bag that I just hit the limit. And it's subsided. And I got very zen about it. Of like, okay, even if this doesn't work out, I will live. And with all of that, that you can agree is kind of a travel disaster. Yeah. Correct. I left the next day at 530. I had a layover in Denver to go to Minnesota. (laughs) None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. But none of those things, the one thing that didn't happen was the thing that I was most worried about. And that's a testament to how much anxiety I have over this. What do you think didn't happen that I was afraid that would? Hijacking, kidnapping. You're in the you're in the right area, but I'm going to pull back a little bit. Okay. What have we been hearing about a lot lately? 
unruly passengers. Yeah, yeah, and apparently yeah. the, pre- the press has decided that's what we're calling them. Yeah. Unruly or disruptive passengers. Yeah. I call them plane jerks. By all rights, at this point, you should have been one of them. Like, you should not be afraid of them. I, they should be afraid of you. <laughs> but I was, oh, I was such a gentleman, Pete. Yeah, oh, I believe with it. My oh. little, with my little p- plain man's hat. <laughs> um, no, unless you have not looked at a newspaper or news, you know that uh, unruly passengers are on the rise. Yeah. And they're not going anywhere. The FAA has been reporting a record high of people being disruptive on planes and causing in-flight emergencies. Do you want to know how much it's increased? Yes, a thousand in 2019, percent. In 2019, there were 146 cases. Okay. 2020, 183. Okay. Since January 1st of 2021, there have been over 4,000 reports <laughs> and over 700 investigations initiated. Now, that oh my is, God. Yeah, it's gotten so bad that the FAA released a PSA about it. You know all those PSAs that the yeah. FAA releases? Yeah. That's not a thing. They've never had to do that before. Let's take a listen. We got a disruptive customer in the back. Declare an emergency. Like two hundred hertz. And there's no struggle going on. Five ten restraining out. The unruly passenger. We need to get off the airplane. Sixteen authorities on the ground. Yeah. Unruly behavior doesn't fly. <laughs> nice. FAA oh, with their little wordplay. My God. Do, do you know? I mean, I feel like I heard Jigsaw in the background. Was this like Saw 9? <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. horrific. Yeah. The FAA is not getting they around because it's getting around. that bad. And this, the, uh, whatchamacallit, research I did for this didn't make me feel better because one of the ways that I was making myself feel better is no one writes articles about planes where people don't act up. Yeah. And so that's happening all the time. But you've seen the pictures. People are being duct taped to seats. I mean, it is really bad. Now, before I go on, I want to ask, have you flown since the pandemic? And if so, were you nervous about, did you even think to be nervous about unruly passengers? Uh, no, and yes, and that's why. Really? Like, I I feel like I'm I'm done flying for the indefinite future. Like, I have no plans to fly. I have no need to fly. If I wow. need to take a trip, I am fine driving, renting a car, driving. Like, I'm really fine not flying right now. And how much of that has to do with corona and how much of that has to do with people? It's all it's all both. I just think the entire experience of flying is uh, it, it raises my anxiety levels sure. to the point that it's not I never have I've never loved flying. I've never loved So it was already in the doghouse yeah, and then the world like, burned yeah, down. <laughs> yeah, and then the world burned yeah. down. It was like you're just gonna go close the door on on it. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm I'm really fine not not flying right now. I'm okay. Okay. Well, do you want to know what you're missing? <laughs> I feel like Jigs- <laughs> with some of, Jigsaw with some just of this says behavior. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have some more things just to tell you. Oh, uh, the delightful. FAA, in addition to the PSA, is hitting back. On August 19th of this year, so just a few days ago, the FAA announced over $500,000 in fines on just 34 unruler passengers. That's bringing this year's total so far to $1 million. Almost all incidents involve the mask mandate and people freaking out about that. But this is my favorite. Federal documents show that nine of the 34 incidents involve a passenger accused of touching or hitting another person, especially crew members. Eight passengers are accused of illegally drinking alcohol they brought with them. And then this is my 
favorite sentence of the entire thing. Half of the incidents involve flights to or from vacation destinations in Florida. Because, of course, because, of course, they do. If it wasn't Florida, it'd be Vegas. And they're probably just going to Florida, Vegas, and back to Florida. Right. Oh, my goodness. The largest fine announced uh, just this the other week, $45,000, is against a passenger. Oh, see if this sounds familiar. Is against a passenger accused of throwing his luggage at another passenger. And while lying on the aisle floor, grabbing a flight attendant by the ankles and putting his head up her skirt. What? That's true. And that was from New York to Orlando. They had to land the plane early in Virginia. What's happening? Like, that is beyond the pale. That's insane. Have you ever seen anything? I don't anything... know what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like remarkable on a flight? Like people um, really acting up? I re- this is all like so anticipatory for me because I yeah. really haven't. I've seen like little jerks and stuff, but yeah. just more like a shrug of the shoulders. Nothing insane. Yeah, and and I think even when you look at four thousand incidents, right? I mean, what we're talking about compared to the total population of flight, right. uh, the odds of running into that experience are probably slim, especially if you're not going to or from Florida. So right. it it's sounds like, like you can lottery. really dodge this if you yes you know route around certain airports and, and right. flights <laughs> yeah i mean and when i traveled to minnesota everyone was very polite yeah. even as planes were being canceled well, Austin also airport is a disaster minnesota i mean come on in or out of minnesota it's, it's the kindness state they are and so i'd wanted to do a little bit of research just in like why why flights Mm-hmm. And I did find something. Can I read you just a little bit more of something? Of course. I love it when you read to me. Back in 2016, the Washington Post wrote an article about why people are plane jerks. This is back in 2016. Mm-hmm. So on top of all of this stuff you have to add, and the world burned down. Right. They inter- they interviewed a clinical psychologist named Martin Seif. And he, uh, here's a quote from the article. Whether people are consciously aware of it or not, a plane is a unique environment that forces us to confront the uncomfortable existential truth that we have no control over what happens. That's what he's saying. It's like boiled down to everything is out of your hands. He says, none of us like to feel out of control. And in fact, we are almost never in control. But we have the illusion that we're in control. And it's very, very hard to maintain that illusion on a plane. I don't know if that leads to you putting your head up someone's skirt. Yeah. Or maybe it does, just to to feel life, <laughs> to, to, to do whatever you need to do to feel like you're in charge. I'm not exactly sure. It doesn't seem to answer a lot of that. One other quick thing he said was the term fear of flying is a misnomer. It's fears of flying. Because a plane is a perfect storm, a connection of all these different fears, like enclosed spaces, like you're afraid of heights, germophobia, social anxiety, uh, terrorist attacks, all of these things. It's coming at you from all different places. And now, of course, everything is so much scarier with the pandemic. That's what I call it. Pandemic. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and now, yeah, and that leads you not just to have the anxieties coming at you, but to to realize that it's just, it's gone full Hunger Games. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> One thing, I did spend a little bit of time thinking about why this was affecting me so much. Yeah. Like, what was I really worried about? Why was it so... Sometimes my anxiety comes from just being agitated or something is rubbing me really the wrong way. And we know from past episodes, I can't stand it when people act like they're the only people in the world. 
the people that stand in the stand in doorways mm-hmm. or just stare at the ketchup while I'm trying to get by. And I can't stand it when people think that they're somehow heroes for being independent and not sticking up for the public good. And this or the common good. And this hits all of those right away. Right. So I think it's what's really bothers me is just the horrible indecency, the unfairness of it. I think I come responding to justice or the lack I think of you are. which is weird. Yeah. Wow. Because I don't think I get involved, or maybe there is a weird taken Liam Neeson part of me that would be so offended, I think I would have to get involved. And that's going to be a lose-lose. <laughs> I'm not taking anyone down. If anything, I will accidentally be like, fine, and I'll let myself out of the airplane. Like, no one's afraid of this guy. Oh, my God. I can hear that now. Boop, 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 boop. This is Tommy Matz third. I have a unique set of skills. Wait, do I really... <laughs> I have a unique set of skills. One of them is not shop class. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it just I think it just agitates me so much that it it just sort of boils over as anxiety. Yeah. Um and there's it. nothing to do about it except realize again to state the obvious they don't write like you said. They don't write articles about planes where nobody acts up. That's and they're true. happening all all the time every time. So I have another trip coming up potentially. Why? <laughs> because I want to play that lottery. <laughs> and I want to see what was up that screen the whole time. Hello, Tampa. <laughs> Advertising is a tricky business, as Todd Davis, CEO of LifeLock, an identity theft protection company based in Tempe, Arizona, found out. In 2006, in an attempt to show that their security system was flawless, the company, LifeLock, put up hundreds of billboards with Todd Davis's image and his actual social security number. Under it, copy read, I'm Todd Davis, CEO of LifeLock. Yes, that really is my social security number. No, I'm not crazy. I'm just so sure our system works. Just like we have with mine, LifeLock will make your personal information useless to a criminal. And it's guaranteed. End quote. This was a striking claim, and people took notice. And by people, I mean hackers. Over the next few years, Davis became the victim of identity theft 13 times. Fake Todd Davis has popped up around the country racking up debts. Ultimately, by the way, in 2015, the company, LifeLock, was ordered to pay $100 million to settle Federal Trade Commission charges of failing to protect consumer information and, yes, deceptive advertising. So, advertising is tricky. So think of this as less of an ad and more of a friendly call to action. Like what you've been hearing? Why not join the What's That Smell growing family and become a Panic Pal today? For just a one-time donation of $35, you'll help cover the costs for Season 6. That's this one. And for that low, low, low price, you'll also get, count them off, early access to episodes, access to live streams so you can see what my dog does in the background while we record, special bonus episodes, a sheet of exclusive What's That Smell anxiety coupons, and more. And by more, I mean stickers we love doing this show but it's not free to make so please donate today and help us make season six the best season of any podcast ever and that's guaranteed and now on with the show hi tom hi pete um i want you to watch something oh, okay and cue my anxiety <laughs> oh 
That looks very high. Do you see down there? There are actually rescue divers in the pool because it's oh my! This is the highest. Wait, that's they're not off of a building. That's like made to do this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're doing that thing that the Olympics do, where they have a water jet, so you can see where the water. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it just I'm, twists your stomach, doesn't it? It does, and I can't. I'm scared for the photographer. Wait, there is. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a drone. I'm, okay, that's a drone. Wow. But there are photographers there. So that what what you're looking at there is um, the Red Bull, <laughs> of course, of course, high diving platform. It is twenty seven meters. No, it's in, it's at the Olympics. Uh, the Olympic center in salt lake in in utah oh really okay yeah and so that's what you can see in the background and i'll put the link in, in the show notes to this video you can see in the background all the ski jumps right they have mm-hmm. all these and they are actually that's one of the other sports they're doing they have all the people and they dress up in their little ski outfits and they go down and they dry ski those jumps and they do all kinds of aerial flips and stuff and land in the, water, the water too yeah it's really oh, it's fun. really but they do it dressed it's very very strange anyway oh. so they uh you know this was in partnership with i guess another youtube YouTuber who does who has a channel devoted to cliff diving and learning how to cliff dive and and do it right. So they built this twenty seven meter ninety or so feet platform dive. Now, uh, and they they have different dives. You can see down there. You have different levels, so you can get to the five the five meter, ten meter, right. fifteen meter before they get up to twenty seven, and then they each take turns doing their crazy flips. And they have some professional divers in here. You you watch the video; it's like fifteen minutes long. You watch the video; you see them doing flips and pikes and twists and doubles and all kinds of things that I don't understand. Check you out. And um and and it it's you know it is a just a heart-sinking just sort of yes. gut-wrenching thing to watch this video. It it twists me <laughs> inside out uh, yep. to watch it. And uh it it's it has had me thinking a little bit and I I should say I've been thinking a little bit about uh this particular thing for uh probably 7 years. <laughs> Okay, And I didn't think it gave me much anxiety. I'm not specifically talking about jumping off of high buildings into pools of water, but uh, specifically thinking about water. And then we got a listener submission. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is a great excuse to talk a little bit about water. Here we go. Okay. I know you guys have talked about marshes and lakes and oceans and muck water. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But have you ever covered just plain water? I'm an adult, and I'm really struggling with the idea of getting in the water for anything more than splashing around. I have no stamina. The idea of being in over my head with nothing under my feet is terrifying. I never thought of myself as scared of swimming, but it turns out that all that childhood fearlessness eventually turns to ash. I hope you guys (laughs) take this on. Thanks for the fun, Brett. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. Brett or Brad? Brett. 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 Yes. Thank you Brett. so much for writing. When I was growing up, oh, can I just start talking? Sure. Is that how I, conversations it's your, work? It's your show, man. Great. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, when I was in ninth grade, I was getting certified to go scuba diving because we were, uh, when I was in eighth grade, because in ninth grade, well, there was a class trip that you kids worked all summer, the summer before, and then we would go to Australia. And my whole family decided, we'll all go do it together, Mm -hmm. because why not? And so we went through all the classes, and then came time to actually go to the pool to do it. 
And that's when I learned that my mother had a horrible fear that she had been hiding from us about putting her face underwater. Oh, my goodness. This whole time. And she just had this, I wonder where I get it. She had this mounting anxiety (laughs) week by week as we got closer and closer to it and finally sort of broke down and just told my dad, I don't think I can do it. And so she had to drop out. So I just wanted to say that because it lets me say mother. And yes, a lot. You are not alone. You are really not alone. And and there are a few things that I thought were interesting about this. Uh, uh, First of all, uh, Paul Lennon is a man by the uh, name of Paul Lennon. (laughs) (laughs) That was weird. Wait, what? The phobia phobia we're talking about today is aquaphobia, right? We've talked about limnophobia. That was the muckwater thing. It's actually the fear of marshes or lakes. And then I went into my open water thing. And yeah, it's... uh, So we're talking about aquaphobia. (laughs) It is a specific phobia. It involves a, a level of fear that is beyond the patient's control, may interfere with daily life. People suffer from aquaphobia in many ways and may experience it even though they realize the water in an ocean, river, or even a bathtub poses no imminent threat. Mm. They thereby avoid activities such as boating or swimming. They avoid swimming in deep ocean despite having mastered basic swimming skills, right? You can Mm. swim and be terrified of the water at the same time. The anxiety commonly extends to getting wet or splashed with water when it is unexpected or being pushed or thrown into a body of water. So lots of different ways to sort of characterize a fear of water, but it can be any experience where you are out of control in the water. And so this is the piece I thought was interesting. Paul Lennon is a founder of the Adult Aquaphobia Swim Center in Glendale, California. Is that the guy that goes by the name of Paul Lennon? He says here that people have difficulties adjusting physiologically and psychologically to weightlessness environments, right, in the water. They they oh. right they, they have difficulty doing that. And because it changes your sensory environment, right, your skin changes. And some people have a difficult time adjusting to that. Uh, and Uh, He goes on, like the fear of heights, the fear of depths is a defense mechanism. How Right? That was a new way of thinking about it to me. Fear of depths. Uh, That uh, our recreational culture, this is the sort of sociological challenge, our recreational culture makes us believe that swimming and water sports are a normal part of life. And (laughs) this is one of the most common things he hears from from people who come to his center, is that being a non-swimmer is a social handicap you put it you put it sort of just up there with like riding a bike yeah, like yeah everyone everyone just does everyone it everyone just you're does like, it you don't yeah, yeah it's weird you never got your driver's license like that that might be another one that's just sure. kind of a thing but this one causes that sort of paralyzing fear and here is the thing that is that's just so sad about the whole thing and it's the it's the cruelest of the anxiety ironies this fear inevitably leads to more drownings every year <laughs> oh no, wait Hmm, I don't get it. That seems opposite. (laughs) What are we doing here right now? Because those who are afraid of water don't learn to swim. Those who can't swim are susceptible to drowning. And if they become unexpectedly immersed in water, that fear turns to panic and they start reacting as if they're drowning before they even start to drown. They can't save themselves. It leads to drowning. Right? Oof. Oof, so much drowning. I yep, know, that, all in a row. It's just a lot of drowning. I, that does make sense. When I said I didn't understand, it was because I was like, but avoidance would keep you out of the water. But mm-hmm. you're saying, right. Yeah. You never so, really got to practice. So what's your what's your relationship to this besides mother? <laughs> I think drowning would be the worst way to die. 
mm-hmm. that I'm on record. I've heard I've heard it's actually okay, right? Haven't you heard that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, we do have a so weird. <laughs> we do have a common friend who I will not name here, Darnell, and he was told by the Navy. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, we've talked about this on the podcast. He was told by the Navy that drowning is a great way to go because it's just like falling asleep in a nap. <laughs> you know, a panicky, <laughs> screaming nap. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't believe Awful. what the Navy tells you. They also t- tell you that submarines are cool. <laughs> um, are you a strong swimmer? Would you call yourself a strong swimmer? Yes. Do you know yes. all the strokes? Um, two. <laughs> I know crawl and uh, breaststroke. 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 Do you know the Hooba stroke? Hooba stroke. Is that like Hooba stage? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like Hooba stage. <laughs> okay, I was just trying to trick you. It's not sure. actually. It's it's an unnamed mystery tool that handy, yeah. handymen use. Uh, backstroke, of course, and butterfly. And I look at you and I think that's the that's a butterfly right there. You, Tom, oh, you could butterfly. Thank you. That would be how I would drown. Yeah, it would be. Absolutely. Yeah, I would like. Immediately, like my arms would somehow get tied together <laughs> by just doing it wrong. No, I don't uh, have that fear. I am a very strong swimmer, and that's one of the exercises that I liked to do before pools all seemed to close. Really? Um, yeah, I like lane swimming. Really? I- I've known you for years, <laughs> and we I don't think I knew this about you. <laughs> you never invite me out lane swimming. <laughs> <laughs> also, who says that? Lane swimming. <laughs> Is that not... Oh, uh, laps. Laps. Lame laps. Swimming. Laps. Swimming, I think laps. is what you see. You yeah. like swimming. Laps. Okay. Laps. Okay. Laps. Because I don't like, I like the fear of depths. I don't like it. I like the idea of the fear of depths. And I do think that the lack of leverage is alarming. Yes, you can't push off something. Because it's kind of like down. space, right. too. You can't. No. Yeah. And so that is scary. How about you? No. And that's why I was so excited to take on this one. Because I also, I mean, I, I think... I feel a similar feeling. I yeah. let me get into it. Oh, and and I should say the extent of my swimming in the last you know twenty five years has been like splashing around in a pool and like pretending I'm Spider Man underwater because that's also <laughs> dope. Yeah. Uh, so you don't you don't do a lot of lane laps. <laughs> that's what I, that's what we call it. This is a this is the interesting thing. Um, there. It, it, Continuing that article I told you earlier, they, the common goal of preventing drowning is to teach children how to swim. That's like the prevailing wisdom. Teach everybody how to swim, right? And eventually, then, there won't be any adults left who can't swim. And if every person is a swimmer, then drowning would just plummet to zero. But this is the question, they say, at the, the swim center. This is a biggie. What defines a swimmer, Right? What defines, how do you define a swimmer? The American Red Cross says that a swimmer is somebody who can swim X yards. We, the swimming adult aquaphobia swim center, says that a mm-hmm. swimmer is somebody who can stay afloat in deep and open water until help arrives, whether it's 10 minutes or four days. That yeah. distinction is the defi- in the definition is the difference between survival and drowning. So what does it mean to be a swimmer? There's no common uh, definition, right? You have right. to just sort of give over to when faith. When are that, you a swimmer yeah. instead of splashing around? Right. You have to right. kind of adjust your risk tolerance depending on how you feel about your swimming, your your swim skills. Four days is a long time. That's unheard of. 
That's unheard of. I, <laughs> I, I say no to that. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, authors of a study, Aquaphobia, Causes and Symptoms and Ways of Overcoming It for Future Well-Being, talked to 400 students about water safety and asked the, and, and in a survey, 80% of them admitted to being afraid of deep water in pools and deep open water. 46% oh, of American adults are afraid of deep water in pools and 64% are afraid of deep open water sure. that's a large part of the population that is that yeah. is surprisingly large well and and i'll say this is from a gallup poll done in 1998 that's the last statistic i could find uh, oh, okay. that actually comes. so what do you think the odds are that the american adult population has just suddenly gotten more confident in their ability <laughs> in the water right. over the last 23 of- years a lot of Americans have gotten more buoyant. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking to me right now? Never. Of course Jeez, not. Jeez, man. Uh, so, okay, a couple of things here. That the, here are the reasons that they were that this the uh, writers of this journal article, the Aquaphobia article, say they lay out in uh, in the link to the articles in the show notes. Uh, they lay out for the reasons for fear. Of, uh, of water, aquaphobia. Instinctive fear of drowning is number one. That seems sure. right With over the plate. bullet. Yeah. Yes. Uh, tension caused when swimmer moves head out of water to inhale. Experienced mm-hmm. even by top competitive swimmers, this fear eventually disturbs the natural poise of the swimmer's head, neck, and back, which leads to becoming heavier and having a more difficult movement in the water. And so, again, this is goes back to the cruel irony of fear of water. When you get in the water, it's right. your panic that causes you to fail in the water. And that is... It's so self-fulfilling. It is. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, okay, this is where the next two I'm very excited about in terms of, oh. you know, fear of drowning. Sure. Number two, a person has experienced an incident of personal horror in the water. Tom, oh, horror. that's big T trauma. I don't know if you remember yeah. from just last week, we were introduced to Big T, Little T trauma. And that's what this is, uh, that there has been some prior experience that causes you to remember your trauma in the water. And I've told you on this very show, my Big T trauma in the water, the where I felt like I was nearly drowning in the whirlpool yes. in the river. That's a horrific thing to experience. Yes. And as I'm writing this, I'm thinking, oh, 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 maybe that's why I don't. You got a big T. Yeah, I have. I might have a big T. I got a big T. Yeah. Uh, number three, a person has at least one parent who is overprotective or with aquaphobia. This is the be careful paradox that we talked about last week. That's right. Yeah. I mean, coming up last week. Coming up last week. You know what? Just turn it off and go listen to last week again. That's probably a better show anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, And the last two, a person has a psychological difficulty adjusting to the water or a person lacks trust in the water. Those are the Mm -hmm. the last two that you don't feel like you have any sort of support when you're swimming or teaching or being taught to swim. That's the leverage part, right. Um, And the last one that I'm adding is social anxiety. And and for this, I would like to call your attention to one Simone Biles. You know who Simone Biles is. Do you? Uh, Have you heard of her? Olympics? Oh, my gosh. Really? No. You didn't watch any Olympics? I mean, you just said it with such a question mark at the end. Uh, Olympic? Yes, she's only the most famous Ah, Olympic athlete right now. Oh, really, Michael Phelps? Yeah, well, he's not doing it anymore. She's a current gymnast, and she just had her big thing because she got the yips, right? Oh, yeah. She got the twisties. There was two... uh, 
There were oh right okay yes I know who this is because okay. I saw a clip. Do you rem- Do you know what the twisties are? No, that's what she suffered from the twisties. And so what that is, she she is one of those those gymnasts who legendarily young age she was able to spot herself in the air. She had what they called air sense, where she could jump off uh-huh. a vault and do all kinds of twisting around and always know where her body was in space. Like her brain was just super attuned in all the dimensions that are required As to know where like your body is. So she could always land on her feet. From a- Oh, I see. Right? She's like a cat. Yeah, she was like a cat. Well, what happened in Tokyo is that she lost her air sense. And that is incredibly dangerous for a gymnast because you're throwing yourself in the air. You lose where you are in space. You land on your neck. Right? That's that's a bad way to go uh, out uh, on your Olympic dream. So, also, it could kill you. So, Is it really called the twisties? Or did you make that up? No, I I don't think I made that up. It just sounds like something you made up. Yeah. No. Twisties mentioned by Simone Biles are gymnasts' worst. Huh. Yeah. Okay. No, I didn't make that up. But you know what? Thank you. Oh. That's a high compliment. Oh, that's it's, why you called it, you compared it to the yips. It's, yeah. Because that's Ted Lasso. The, right. Yeah. That's right. And Tin Cup. And Tin Cup. Also Tin Cup. Yes. Good. Okay. So back to Simone Biles. And mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called. The aquis, the splashies. But when you it's get in the, the water, you submerge yourself in the water and suddenly you lose your sense of space in the water. Because again, you have no leverage. You have no, like, it's it's hard to feel where you are in the water. And that leads yep. to this sense of anxiety, of uncertainty and doubt. Oof. That, I'm alleging that one. All the others were in their article. Okay. But that's what okay. that's what I think is might be going on. It's certainly what I deal with. And uh, then, of course, you have the symptoms that you're you get dizzy and, and numb and hyperventilate and shortness of breath and increased heart rate and heart rate and sweating in the water and shivering in the water. It's all terrifying. Ooh. Yeah, it's all terrifying. So uh, that's where we are. And that's why aquaphobia is it's a legit big deal for a lot of people and they're not talking about it, right? They're carrying it around. And so Brett brings it up here. I'm telling you, I've got a whole family of swimmers, like competitive Mm -hmm. swimmers, and I'm the one who doesn't get in the pool. And so I've Mm. been thinking for years, what's it going to take to get me back in the water to really, as an adult, like I took swim lessons as a kid and I did all the, mm-hmm. I did the strokes and I, I know mechanically what they're supposed to look like. But there is a real bit of social anxiety that as an almost 50 year old man, I'm going back and learning something that I should have really solidified and continued through the rest of my life. And I haven't been in a pool in a lot of years, like measured in decades. Decades. Yeah. Oh, now I know better what we're talking about. Well, that makes sense that you would have apprehension about that. Yeah. And are you worried of those things? Like, are you worried about catching a case of the can't breathe?s Or <laughs> like freak? <laughs> That's the technical the term. The splashies. The splashies, of course. I'm yeah. nervous about the splashies. Yes. Well, then I'm in this conversation with uh, our mutual friend, uh, JJ, and uh, we're mm-hmm. in a text conversation. And one of the other people on this text thread says, you know, I really need to work on my shoulders uh, because they've they've always looked weak. And uh, JJ says, swim. And I don't know, I'm just going to say this out loud about JJ. He's a handsome man. And he's got yep. great, great shoulders. He's a <laughs> he's a long drink of water, and yes. <laughs> and he was a swimmer for a lot of years, right? Right. He loves the water, and mm-hmm. he responded. He was like, swimming, swimming will crush your problem with 
shoulders. They will be amazing mm. once you start swimming regularly. Okay. And I got to thinking, okay, what? Let's let's talk about more reasons that I need to really get over this and get over the hump and call somebody who can help teach me to swim because I would never ask my family to do it. Okay. So you are you want to take a lesson. You want to be formally reintroduced to make sure that you're on, well, I shouldn't say stable ground, but that you're doing it safely. I want to do it safely. I don't want to hurt myself. And I want to I, I want it. to start doing all the things. I want to improve my stamina. I want to do all that. So that's what I'm thinking in I my head. It. So let's start looking at like how really how good is swimming? Is there a compelling reason? Like, why don't I just go running? Right. I mean, I can just go run. Uh, so the uh, Stephen Blair is the oh, professor of de- of the Departments of Exercise Science and Biostatistics and Epidemiology at the University of South Carolina's Arnold School of Public Health. Oof, that I know. He's so busy. I don't know how he is a professor. He's so busy. <laughs> <laughs> if he is just busy with like half those words, he's not Get getting ready. enough sleep. Get ready. Yeah. Get ready. Yeah. Let me tell oh, you what okay. he did. Oh, no. He evaluated 32 years worth of physical exams and behavioral surveys of more than 40,000 men enrolled in the Aerobics Center Longitudinal Study. And during a 13-year follow-up period, which took into account age, body mass, smoking status, alcohol intake, and family history, swimmers had a nearly... (laughs) 50% lower death rate than runners and walkers specifically. Whoa! 50%? Did, it does it, it does here say there is no compelling reason to assume that the benefits of swimming would be different for women. Because he okay. was just looking at men in this study. Sure. He also says we did not take into account the benefits of walking. <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah. should be in the Olympics. What do you think? Wow. What do you well, think compelling. of this? Right? Because I've always, the thing that I've always liked about swimming is that it's non-impact. Yeah. Running and stuff like that, you end up hurting, especially as you get older, you hurt your knees and your back and other, yeah. that's that's it. Uh, and what's the word for non-impact? Low impact, reduced impact, Low zero impact. impact. Yeah. Floaty. Um, but I would have had no idea that it was that. It's serious. Significant. It's yeah. serious. So is that enough of a... The approturant? It, it the might be. I actually, I have a whole bunch of tabs open researching for this show and also have behind it tabs open for our local rec centers. Like, do they have adult beginning classes? Like, just to get in the I pool and start doing it. I'm thinking I might do it. And I can't tell anybody either. So I have to start it before this show goes out. Who am I kidding? Nobody listens to this show in my house. <laughs> I'll too busy splashing around. <laughs> Uh, so that's my plan. That's my uh, that's my plan. I love and it. I just have to say, uh, Brett. Uh, I hope uh, let's let's be accountability buddies. All right. Yeah, that's so a good idea. You should. Uh, it, yeah, you know what we have, which we've never told people about, our Discord server. We have a we have a channel in in Discord, and you can join mm. it. And I'll put that on the website too, so you can come over and talk about your anxiety with us, and uh, and uh, we'll be accountability friends and uh, help each other learn to swim again. It'll be great. What do you think? Good. Why are you just staring at me? You were talking. You're like a taxidermy dog. You were... (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) I was using conversation face.
you all so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is <laughs> Sinking by Jane and the Boy. Coming up next week. Also, it can kill you. And by the way, Dad, we're comparing you to a, a otherwise healthy baby who has not eaten for, for the last few hours. <laughs> now get out and fix the fence. The soup you sent me is horny as hell. <laughs> This is the, this soup is a thirsty man, oh man. Do you know why? Because nobody brings Pharaoh to a party. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm having a Super Bowl party. Could you bring the Pharaoh? No. You know why? You're not even invited to that party if you no. were a candidate yeah. for Pharaoh. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Mess the Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell? 